So my question for you today, coming from Galatians chapter 6, is this. It's on the screen. The question is, are you boasting? Are you boasting? Are you boasting? That's my question for today, coming from Galatians chapter 6. Well, it must have been a very dramatic moment. You say, why? Because it was the world premiere of a letter. We have the world premiere of a letter at one point in time, and it was the letter called Galatians. And this is not any ordinary letter, of course. This is inspired Scripture. You see, the Galatian church had gathered for the public reading of a letter from none other than the Apostle Paul himself. And as the letter drew to a close, they heard two exhortations coming from Galatians chapter 6. And I want to look at each of these individually, one at a time. The first exhortation that God gives us here in in Galatians 6 is this. Don't boast in the flesh. Don't boast in the flesh. Now, most of the letter uh, of what we call Galatians is spent condemning the false teachings of a group of people called Judaizers. And you might be asking yourself the question, what is a Judaizer? I'm glad you asked. A Judaizer was a Gentile who was following the, the customs and the practices of the Jewish religion, uh, what we usually call Judaism. So these were, were in, in a region over in, uh, well, not far from, from Greece, modern-day Greece. And so these Gentiles were following these, these customs and practices of the Jews. And here in this particular text, coming to the end of this book, Paul condemns the, the Judaizers' motives for teaching their legalistic perversion of the gospel. They had perverted the gospel, and in fact, Paul said it wasn't even the gospel in chapter 1. And in fact, he said these people and their teachings were condemned. They were anathema as a result of the fact that it wasn't even the gospel. What does Paul say about these these people, the Judaizers? Well, here in our text, we see, first of all, that the Judaizers were motivated by religious pride. They were motivated by religious pride. Let's start reading in verse 11. This is special because look what Paul says here in verse 11. He he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And then look at the first part of verse 12 because it says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Let's stop there because we see in this first part that the Judaizers were motivated by religious Pride. Notice the word flesh there in verse 12. The word flesh is referring to the works of their humanness. It's any self-effort apart from Christ and the Holy Spirit. Self-effort apart from the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. You see, these Judaizers, they were not concerned about pleasing God by inward righteousness but they were concerned about impressing other people with their outward standards. One of those being, one of the predominant ones we see throughout the book of Galatians was circumcision. So they were motivated by religious pride. They 
if you notice there in verse 12, they, they wanted to make a good showing in their, in their humanness, in their, their self-effort apart from Christ and the Spirit. Number two, we see that the Judaizers were cowardly. They were cowardly. Again, look at verse 12, because it says, and only, why are they doing this? Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they're cowardly. They were not willing to pay the price of persecution in order to be identified with Jesus Christ. Oh, they were the kind of people, sure, they would use the name of Christ when it would, when it was convenient and comfortable. They would attend Christ's church only if there was no offense. They realized, though, that if they denied the meaning of Christ's death, then, then they could avoid the persecution part, which, of course, they didn't want. It's interesting to me that from the first century, the cross has been the recognized logo of Christianity. During Paul's day, though, the cross was used for crucifixion. It wasn't it wasn't a necklace that you hung around your neck. It wasn't something that, that church buildings would have hanging up on the wall behind the baptistry. It was something used for crucifixion, and crucifixion was perhaps the most cruel means of execution ever devised by mankind. Because you, you, you understand it was designed not just merely to kill somebody, which of course it did, but it was designed to degrade and to humiliate before that person died. It was generally reserved for special enemies of the state. And in fact, the Romans, their, their view of, of crucifixion was such that, uh, that if you were a Roman citizen, you, were, you could not be killed by crucifixion. For them, it was so degrading and so humiliating that they only reserved it for criminals of the state, you know, murderers and, and traitors and that sort of thing. One commentator said this about the cross, quote, That symbol of a horrible death became for Christians the most cherished symbol of life because Christ had suffered and died on a cross as the full and final sacrifice to save them from sin and death. God transformed the most fearful expression of man's hatred into the most beautiful expression of His divine love, end quote. So you say, what is the cross? When, when Paul's talking about the cross here in our passage, you can see it mentioned there in verse 12, that they did not want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What is this cross? What is the cross? Well, when it's used in a salvation context, like we have here in this context, the cross, of course, doesn't refer to a, a piece of wood or a tree that Christ hung on one day. But it refers to the entire work of redemption, the work of salvation that Christ accomplished. So I have to ask you, why is this offensive? Why is the cross offensive? Why is it that these people were cowardly and didn't want to be persecuted for the cross? Well, it's because Christ's substitutionary atonement allows no room and no place for our human pride. It leaves absolutely no room for our human pride. Because it's Christ, God, and the Spirit who's done the work, not us. Number three, 
Paul goes on to talk about these Judaizers, and he mentions here in verse 13 that the Judaizers were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. Look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. (laughs) You see, the Judaizers, who themselves were circumcised, they did not try to live according to the Mosaic law. They were not honest Jews, much less genuine Christians. Their religion was a show, and, and the show was all for the purpose of their, their own pride. They, they were doing it, putting it on show for the benefit of other people. They performed the easy outward surgery on each other, but they never lived out the rest of God's law. Although they never kept it, it says here that the Judaizers zealously worked to win converts to the law. Why? Why'd they do that? So they could brag about their proselytes for their, for their converts, so to speak. Well, fortunately, Paul doesn't stop here with the first exhortation, which was, remember, don't boast in the flesh. Paul moves on to tell us, uh, the, the positive aspect here, which is, Boast in the cross of Christ. The second exhortation is boast in the cross of Christ. Look at verse 14. Notice verse 14 starts with a conjunction. It's a contrasting conjunction. It is the word but, which is giving the contrast of don't boast in the flesh, but instead do this. But, look what verse 14 says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does it mean to boast? (laughs) Because I started off by asking you the question, and I purposely worded it this way to get you to think a little bit. What are you boasting in? Or are you boasting? The reality is we're all boasting in something. The question is, what are we boasting in? Because we love to boast. We all do. Even those people who claim to be humble love to boast. So what does it mean to boast, particularly in this context? Because we often think of boasting as something sinful, right? I hope you're thinking that way. And you might be asking the question, well, isn't it wrong? Isn't it sinful to boast? Why would Paul say boast in the cross of Christ? Well, the Greek term for boast here, carries the basic meaning of praise. It basically means to praise. So, you might ask the question then, if it means praise, well then, how do I know if if this kind of boasting is good or bad praise? How do you know if it's good or bad praise? And the way you answer that question is, it's the object of your praise that determines whether it's sinful or good and right. So it depends on whether self is the object of the praise, or if God and His work is the object of your praise. Do you you understand? So if you're going around boasting about yourself and your accomplishments and saying, hey, I'm number one, or look what I did, nobody else can do this, then you're boasting and praising yourself, which of course is sinful. You're not worthy of praise. 
But if you give God praise, He's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. Therefore, that's totally appropriate. And that's what it means to boast. We are to praise particularly the finished work of Christ. So God be praised for the work that He accomplished through Christ on the cross. Well, I've got another question for you. Why did Paul boast in the cross of Christ? Why? Why did Paul boast in the cross of Christ? In fact, Paul says he didn't want to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. That's the only thing he wanted to boast in. Why did he say that? Well, look at verse, let's, let's look at verse 14 again. He says in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I've got three reasons for you, why, coming from our text here, of why we should boast in the cross of Christ and why Paul boasted in the cross of Christ. Number one, the cross has the power to free people from the world's system of evil. The cross has the power to free people from the world's system of evil. Look again at verse the end of verse 14. Paul says that it's the cross. Well, let's just read it. It says, it says, by which, he's talking about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Basic idea is there the power. Uh, the power of the cross frees us from this world's system of evil. You see, life as an unsaved person is the life of a victim. Every unsaved person on planet Earth, whoever has lived and ever will live, is a victim. It's, it's a meaningless life to be an unsaved person, to be without Christ. A life with no hope, purpose, or reason for being. It's also life ruled by the flesh. The Bible says if you're unsaved, then, then you are a slave to your sin nature. In one way or another, every unbeliever is in bondage to the futilities and the frustrations of the world. They, they serve themselves, they serve Satan and this world's evil system, and, and they can do no otherwise. They are a slave. However, however, the person who belongs to Jesus Christ is freed from the world's evil and its hopelessness. If you've been converted, if you were regenerated, you understand this more than anyone else. See, the, the saved person knows that his past, present, and future sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He knows that his eternal home is heaven. And that hell will no longer be the place, he still deserves it, but it is no longer his home. And so the idea of the world and the believer being crucified to each other means that they're dead to each other. A believer no longer has to serve the world and its evil, but now has a, has a choice. So the cross has the power to do that, 
frees us from this world's evil system. Number two, second reason we should boast exclusively in the cross of Christ is that the cross has the power to do what the flesh cannot do. And that comes from verse 15, which says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So Paul's addressing both the groups here. He's, he's addressing anyone who thinks that circumcision is, is important, and then those who think that circumcision is not important. Paul's addressing everybody who's, who's thinking this way, and he says, but what is important is the new creation. The cross has the power to do what the flesh cannot do. And so as a Jew, Paul remember, Paul had done everything he could do in his own power to please God. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, Philippians 3 says. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was zealous for the law, he said. He tried everything, but Paul comes to the conclusion in Philippians 3, hey, it's it's all a pile of manure. It's worse than rubbish, he says. Some translations use the word dung. You get the idea. It's it's nasty stuff. And so he discovered he was actually persecuting God's own son in the process of his zealous religion. Jesus said, hey, you're persecuting me. As you, perse- as you persecute the church, Jesus told him, you're persecuting me. So what he's talking about here is, well, you might be wondering, what in the world is he talking about? All this circumcision and uncircumcision. Well, here's the basic idea. Circumcision and uncircumcision together represent the world's systems of religion. So you got Judaism, they believed in, in circumcision, and then there's basically everybody else in the world, the Gentiles, they didn't believe in circumcision. So take all the world's religious systems, the, the, the man-made religious systems of how they think they can get to heaven, put them all together, and that's what Paul's talking about here. And Paul says, those things, they, they count for nothing. They count for nothing. But what is important is a new creation. All those systems, what are, what are they relying on, by the way? All the world systems, their religions, what are they relying on? Everything except Christianity is relying on the flesh. It's all man-made stuff. It's their good works, what they do. None of them is of any value for salvation, though, because the Bible says that salvation is by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. So none of those things are of any value for salvation. However, the power of the cross, as as we see here in verse 15, makes the believer a new creation in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in other places, you know, the old things are passed away, the old man's, it's gone, and you are now a new creation if you are in Christ Jesus. So the power of the cross can do what the flesh cannot. Number three, third reason why we should boast in the cross exclusively is because the cross has the power to bring salvation. The cross has the power to bring salvation. Look what Paul says in verse 16. He says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Israel of God there is referring to believers. 
All believers are the Israel of God. So Paul seems to imply an invitation here to the Judaizers, and by the way, any any other people who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. No one has to remain lost. Nobody has to remain an alien from God. Nobody has to remain exiled from God, so to speak. The Bible says that through faith in Christ, anyone can walk by this rule of the gospel. This rule is referring to the gospel, in case you didn't know that. Anybody can do this. Anybody can come to Christ. No one is excluded. The word rule, by the way, has the basic idea of measurement. And from this we get the, the word ruler. You've probably heard that word ruler. Ruler measures things. We use it for measurement. And what is the measurement? What is this rule? Well, it's Jesus Christ and His work. That's the measurement. Jesus Christ and His work. So if, if you can match up to that rule, Jesus and His finished work, then notice what God says here in verse 16. Peace and mercy be upon those kind of people. In other words, salvation comes to those who have Jesus Christ and His finished work as their measurement. I have another question for you. Was there a cost to Paul in boasting only in the cross of Christ? And the answer is yes, and you can see that in verse 14. He says in verse 14, "...by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world." Does that sound like a cost to you? It should. Paul's message not only cuts him off from the false teachers and their followers, but it also cuts him off from the values of his age and his culture. And that should be normal for a Christian. There is one cross, the Bible says, but there are two crucifixions. Two crucifixions are mentioned here in verse 14. First of all, we see Christ crucified for us. But there is a second kind of crucifixion you need to realize as well, and that's our crucifixion. As we die to our sin and die to the sinful appeal of this world. In fact, Paul said he died daily. You need, every morning you get up, you need to die. You need to be crucified every morning. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of strange. You need to die to your sin and reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. My fourth question is this. Why did Paul write these words to the Galatians? Why did he write these words in verse 14? They're amazing words. He says, May I never boast of anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Why would he say that? Well, when you read the whole book of Galatians, it, it should be pretty obvious that they were susceptible to the counterfeit Christianity among them particularly the, the false teachers, these Judaizers. They, the, the, the Christians in Galatia were being pressured into submitting to their legalistic standards. Paul says in chapter 1 that this was a different gospel. In fact, he goes as far as to say it's a perverted gospel. It was a gospel contrary that was to that which was preached by Paul. Paul says in Galatians 1, verse 6, I am not, 
I am astonished, sorry, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so here in Galatians chapter 6, Paul analyzed those, those teachers of this perverted gospel and he declares about them, he, he says here, hey, you guys, oh, you, you desire to put on a good show in the flesh. Why? So that you can somehow manage not to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they wanted a publicly and culturally acceptable form of worship. They didn't want to appear as unintellectual. They didn't want to appear as fanatical and weird and a Jesus freak. And to do that, they had to abandon the cross of Christ. Their aim was to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ. And Paul's aim was that he would never boast of anything except the cross of Christ. And if that meant persecution, he was willing to accept it. My fifth question for you is this. Why might we be ashamed of the cross of Christ? Yes, you can be ashamed of the cross of Christ, just as people in this day and age was. Why might we be ashamed of the cross of Christ? Number one, i got three reasons here for you. Because the cross of Christ points us to one God, one Savior, one way of salvation. There's only one salvation. There's only one reality, one revelation, one mediator between God and man, and it's Christ Jesus. There is only one finished work of Christ. There's only one work of reconciliation, one forgiveness, one way of discipleship, one church, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, and one God and Father of us all. Those are all quotes from Scripture. Do you see the exclusivity here? It is only one. There's only one way. There's only one gate. There's only one Savior. And because of that, we might be tempted to be ashamed of the cross of Christ. Because this world, as you know, is very pluralistic. It doesn't like the exclusivity of the cross of Christ. It doesn't like the exclusivity of the one message, the one way, the one truth, and the one Savior. It doesn't like that. And so for that, we might be ashamed of the cross of Christ. Number two, we might be ashamed of the cross of Christ because it points us to the reality of our sin. And it also points to the justice and the wrath of God. It tells us of our need for a substitute. We need a substitute that needed to die in our place, because we couldn't die for our sin. So for God to permit a substitute was something very merciful on His part. To provide a substitute was amazing grace. But you need to realize this. To become the substitute is grace beyond measure. Not only did He provide the substitute, 
but he became the substitute. In the cross, the substitution of God delivered us from eternal judgment. It it delivers us from death and, and even from hell itself. For on the cross, Christ was God saving us by shedding His blood, becoming a curse for us. So Christ was cursed on the cross that you and I might be blessed by the cross. Number three, why might we be ashamed of the cross of Christ? Because the cross of Christ reminds us of our human inability to save ourselves. And because of that, we don't like that. We might be ashamed of that. We don't want other people to know about that. We are, and, and for, why? Well, we're corrupted. We're corrupted in every part of our being, every part of our person. We are by nature, the Bible says, children of wrath. And we are programmed actually against God because of our sin nature. We are entirely dependent on the free and gracious gift of God to do what you and I cannot possibly do. God saves us. And according to verse 15 here in our text, He makes us a new creation. Or as Jesus said in John chapter 3, we must be born again. Of course... We may not be like those foolish Galatians. At least I hope we're not like the foolish Galatians that Paul was talking to. We would probably not contradict the cross. But there are some things that we might do. In fact, there are some things probably every one of us in this room are doing. So listen closely. We might neglect the cross in our theology. Oh, we might want to talk about God's love and... Other things like that about God, but we certainly don't want to talk about God being holy or just or a God of judgment and wrath. We don't want to talk about that side of God. We might neglect God in our preaching. We don't want to call people sinners today, do we? We might neglect God in our evangelism. Again, we don't want to, we don't want to come out and just tell people and get people to admit they're sinners and that they need Jesus Christ. No, we don't want to go that far. And often we neglect the cross of Christ in our ministries and in our own lives. We don't want to preach the Gospel to ourselves every day. We might engage in heresy by silence. Did you realize you can engage in heresy by silence? If you do not boast... about the cross of Christ, then you are engaged in heresy. You must praise the finished work of Christ. We might even replace the cross with our sincerity. We might replace the cross with achievement, our achievement, our success, and dare we say, even our own good works. Even believers sometimes jump on the on the performance treadmill and think they that we... I sometimes think I can please God with my good works. No, you can't. So we might replace the cross with good works. We might replace it with our religious energy. We might replace the cross with exciting worship. Or we may even replace the cross with our internal experiences that we have with God. None of those things can replace the cross of Christ. So why might we neglect the cross? We might be ashamed of the cross, but why might we neglect the cross? Let me give you three reasons. 
Well, one of the reasons that comes up in our text here that the Judaizers, we, we learned about the Judaizers, that they were cowards. Why were they cowards? Because they had a fear of persecution. That might be one reason why you don't want to boast in the cross. Maybe you have a fear of persecution. For you, what does that look like? What does persecution look for, like for you? Well, it means maybe fear of disapproval from your workmate. You don't want to tell your workmate that he's a sinner and Christ took your place on the cross. It might mean fear of rejection from your family member. Or because preaching the cross and living by the cross and boasting in the cross is just too much of a bother. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It's too demanding. For that reason, we might do it. Number two, we might think that God meets our need. And He does. But sometimes we forget that He is the one who forgives our sins. Oh, let's not forget that. He is the one who forgives our sins. We might think, by the way, that God will supply what we lack, but we forget that He calls us to repent. We might think that the death of Christ rescues us from evil, but forget that it also rescues us from deserved judgment. We might think the cross shows us God's love, which of course it does, but forget it also shows us God's judgment. How do you know that God loves you? Well, never let it be said otherwise that God doesn't love you because Christ showed His love to you that while you were a yet sinner, Christ died for you, Romans 5 says. So Christ died because the wages of sin is death. And no blood, by the way, means no atonement. And no atonement means no forgiveness. And no forgiveness means eternal punishment. Number three, We might forget that our greatest problems are our sinful nature and our sins. Your greatest problem is not financial. It's not health. It's not something else. No, your greatest problem is your sin nature and your sin. And so we might forget to confess our sins either in a church service or in our daily lives. We might love Christ's example and at the same time forget His salvation. And we might forget that the cross is at the heart of Christianity. Do you realize that without the cross, there is no gospel at all? If Christ never died on the cross, there is no gospel. Those who do not glory in the cross, the Bible says, are actually enemies of the cross. You don't want to be an enemy of the cross. Paul knew that we needed a radical conversion. Paul knew we needed something that was called total transformation, which is why it's called the new creation here in this passage. It is by the cross that the world is crucified to us and we are crucified to the world. The cross actually breaks the power of the world over us and it actually breaks the power of the world within us. You want to know how to break that power within you? you you got to look to the cross. God's peace is on those who follow this measurement, this rule, this gospel. By the way, to boast in the cross of Christ and to do it now is something that is good practice for you in eternity. 
Do you realize you, when you read the book of Revelation, for all eternity, you will be boasting in the cross of Christ? We will join with all the other saints and the angels in heaven singing with a loud voice. Here's what Revelation says. You are worthy, talking about Christ. Christ is worthy, for by your blood you ransom for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Revelation 5.9 says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Why is He worthy? Revelation 5 says it's because He was slaughtered. Let me end with an appeal to you. Okay, You should never walk away from a sermon without doing something with that sermon. We should never just be a hearer of the Word, but we need to be a doer of the Word. So what do we do with the Word? Let me give you a couple appeals. Hopefully one of these shoes will fit for you, okay? Number one, if you've never thanked God for the death of Christ in your place, if you've never thanked God for forgiving you and accepting you through Christ's death, if you have never boasted in God's grace and your weaknesses as Paul did, if you've never gloried in the cross of Christ, then please do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. Boast in Christ's cross. Number two, if you've gloried in the atoning death of Christ, if you've boasted at some point in your life, about the cross of Christ at some point in the past, but somehow you, you're neglecting to do that now, in the present, then please repent of your sin now. Ask God for His forgiveness. Change your practice. And boast in the cross of Christ. Number three. If you have gloried in anything other than the cross of Christ... For example, if you somehow are boasting in your achievements, your success, your promotions, your financial situation, your intelligence, your sporting abilities or whatever, your gifts, your experiences, then I implore you to repent now and boast in the cross of Christ. Change your practice. Ask God for forgiveness Boast in the cross of Christ. Number four. If you've gloried in Christ, but you're not glorying in His cross because you don't like that part, you're, you don't want to glory in His atoning death as your substitute and your Savior and Lord, then please repent now. My friend, you must adore the Savior and boast in His cross. Number five. If you're one of these people who is somehow ashamed of Christ and ashamed of the gospel of Christ, if the cross is foolishness to you, if you're afraid of becoming a Christian, if you want to somehow just please yourself, then I implore you, repent now. Repent of your sin. Believe that your sin has offended a holy God. Believe that you stand guilty before the only holy God. Believe that hell is a real place and it is your destiny unless you repent of your sin. Accept Christ. 
forsake your sin and believe that Christ is the only one who could atone for your sin. My friend, that's your only hope. If you do that, then you will be able to boast in the cross of Christ. For you, my Christian friend, I appeal to you now, just like Paul. Well, look what Paul says, because I haven't actually read this verse yet. Look what Paul says in verse 17. Here's my, here's my appeal to you. Look at verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So I appeal to you, like Paul here, bear the marks of the cross of Christ. Boast in Christ's cross and let the Lord Jesus Christ and that cross shape your life and ministry.